It's episode one, season one of Nonfic Pod with Burn and Cod. It's Cod here. Hello. And I am delighted to say that for this very introductory, wonderful, lovely, jubbly episode of Nonfic Pod, Burn is going to kick things off by describing herself in 10 words or less. Over to her. Geeky, stressed, funny, uh, uh, overly conscientious, can't count while talking. Oh, was that 10? You, yeah, that was 10. <laughs> and, I, and that was with me counting. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for counting for me. How about you? 10 words or less. Neurotic, panic head. Sorry, was that ero- erotic or neurotic? I I will leave that to you. Um, I'm very much one of those people who believes that the the reader is in charge, and you can interpret <laughs> things however however you want. So, actually, think a combination of neurotic and, and erotic is bang on. Brilliant. And I, I've now given you about five thousand words. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Nonfic pod, nonfiction. I think we need to talk about this because there might be some people wondering why nonfiction needs a podcast. And actually, okay, there are other nonfiction podcasts. We should clarify, mm-hmm. but not many, right? And doing slightly different things from what we're attempting to do. And so, as an intro to nonfic pod, why does nonfiction need this attention? Yeah, I feel like nonfiction doesn't get the love it deserves. When you think of you know the major publishing prizes tend to be for novels and then perhaps poetry although I doubt poetry feels like you know the 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 popular girl at the at the party but if if novels of Beyonce you know sort of like powerful and world famous and glamorous and winning all the awards then non-fiction is Janelle Monae in a sort of quirky and awesome and infinitely rewarding and forever new I kind of feel like if novels are wine, then nonfiction is scotch. There are, it's very hard to write escapist nonfiction uh, by definition, but really good nonfiction draws you in, uh, into a field that you never knew, into a world that you never knew. So it's, it's escapist from your own experience, but it is very like a friend inviting you in to something that they are passionate about that they have experienced and that they really want to share with you. And at its best, well-written non-fiction is just awe-inspiring. Whereas I think most of us, because the non-fiction we grow up with tends to be school textbooks, which uh, favour precision over passion, there is a tendency to, I think quite a lot of people's journeys go, being made to read things at school that they don't like, finally getting back into the world of fiction and then probably a little later on getting back into the world of non-fiction not everyone obviously has a wild generalization but i feel like yeah non-fiction is the the nerdy sidekick to fiction's sort of glamorous uh superhero lead in the movie of the world um and i i don't think that's fair 
Yeah, I think I always think it's quite mean that nonfiction gets defined as uh, defined as a non thing. Like it's oh, fiction. Like the word itself it sounds so zippy and fun. And then oh, that's nonfiction over there. I mean, you don't want to hang out with her. But it's interesting what you're saying about most people's journeys because actually, if you think about so many podcasts and films and TV series, it's the nonfiction stuff that often gets tongues wagging. You know. Yeah, I'd love at some point to get a documentary maker or two on the podcast and see how they feel um, and whether or not sort of factual programming, because uh, we don't talk about factual books, but factual programming is treated with uh, slightly less, I don't know, awe and reverence than than drama. You know, it's all drama. You have to make it all up from your head, whereas if you're writing something factual, you'll you're one step up from a stenographer and of course that isn't true really good non-fiction for want of a better word is it's a really nice phrase that it's where art meets truth when you can convey something that is real and is happening in the world whether that is something that has happened to you in memoir or whether that is you know myself I, I write sort of popular science whether that's what's happening in research there is still a need to craft something compelling that people want to read. A list of papers and their uh, and their conclusions does not a good non-fiction book make. And also, likewise, in fiction, there is so much world building that is required. I mean, historical fiction quite obviously relies a lot on research, but even in things like you know, science fiction and fantasy, there are certain things that I know authors will go and check, you know, like what is the psychology of somebody who has, who is the kind of person that would do this? And quite often that, that advice in fiction to write what you know, um, there's this idea that you have to do some form of research. With this podcast, by letting people hear from the people who are writing nonfiction and to hear the passion in their voices, they might be more tempted to uh, reach out and try some of the passion on the page because nonfiction authors are some of the most fascinating people to hang out with. They are passionate, driven, committed, but also just love explaining their subjects. So yeah, we're going to have some amazing people on the show this season i'm so excited i should point out that we're obviously very biased in terms of thinking that non-fiction writers are the most fascinating and excellent people that you should definitely invite around for dinner we've both um published non-fiction books i actually studied fiction and then was like well nap off with this because with fiction you have to write a whole bloody book and then shop it around to the publishers. And then the publisher's like, well, I kind of like it if you change this and change that. Send it back to me in a year. Uh, whereas nonfiction, you just write a little bit, send it around. Oh, yeah, we'll pay you to write the rest. Yeah, that accessibility of being able to write a proposal and then potentially get paid to write the rest of the book. My God, advances are still a thing in nonfiction. Wow. We're going to add for our for our Patreon subscribers, for our Patreon backers, um, we are adding an extra bit to our podcasts called Shit I Wish I'd Known, uh, which is things like that, that Georgie and I and our guests have found out during a career of nonfiction writing. And so if you either are just curious about the nonfiction industry and publishing in general, 
or you're thinking of doing it yourself, or you are a nonfiction writer and you're missing being able to hang out with your fellow nonfiction buddies at some Society of Authors event, that's the place to go. We're going to have an extra bit for you about, you know, how to write nonfiction, how to research for it, how to make sure that the art does meet the truth. So yeah, please do keep an eye on our Patreon for that because that's coming very soon. And in fact, if there's anything you do want to know about nonfiction that you don't know already, you can ask us through our social media channel on Twitter, right, Emma? That is correct, yes. So Twitter, uh, we are nonficpod, uh, just three lots of three letters smashed together with no punctuation, um, which is how I like to write. Sorry, editor. If people have things that they're burning, burning to know, burning like a painful UTI after three weeks and they've got the wrong antibiotics then come come to social media and we will ease your pain um potentially yeah it's not often that we sort of go yeah twitter is definitely the penicillin of no um but 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 we we i believe are a wonderful broad spectrum antibiotic (laughs) for the uh, burning UTI of your of your need to know let us soothe you. So, one of the things we'll talk about is the importance of metaphor. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Get those metaphors going. And actually, Burn, you didn't mention in your 10 words or less that you're quite good at the old swear words, eh? I am. Uh, sorry for the fact that this podcast has a little E next to it in your favourite podcatcher. I hope that's not putting off too many people. I wrote a book called Swearing is Good for You, uh, which came out in 2017, and have <laughs> spent the intervening four years being essentially the sweary scientist, which is a little unfair because there are lots of other scientists who are studying swearing, and I name check them liberally whenever I talk about the book. But I'm about to drop a book on parenting, which is going to be an interesting pivot. <laughs> oh, what books got you into nonfiction as like a as a thing that you're like, oh my god, I can't get enough of this. Funnily enough, I was blogging about this the other day. Um, blogging is like podcasts, but written down. Uh, if anyone remembers those, oh, yeah. and it was so uh, yeah, it was definitely watching the English by Kate Fox, which was based on her research but is such a fun and just fantastically entertaining way of writing about what anthropology is by talking about a a subject that many of the readers would be familiar with, i.e. the social habits of, of the English. And I remember my husband picked up a copy of, it wasn't the full book, it was a short essay that she'd published about the rituals of going to the pub uh, in an attempt to shame a somewhat parsimonious member of our group into buying his fucking rounds. But I remember reading the full book when it came out about a year or so after that and just devouring it from cover to cover and realising that the ability to be playful with material that is serious as long as you respect the material and her ability to explain how these conclusions were uh, were reached without sort of making people feel like they were in an anthropology 101 here's the methodology and study it wisely it, it's just such a wonderful guide and it does feel like a friend talking you through their most interesting research and so that was one of the first books that made me go ah it is possible to write 
about one's research in a way that isn't, you know, sort of in journal ease, not written for that level of, you know, you, you're basically saying to your audience, if this is how you want to reproduce my work, this is how you would reproduce it. You know, it's one of the major functions of peer review is saying that this should be reproducible. Whereas with this, it's not, here is how you would reproduce it. It was, here's what I found and why it's really interesting. And realising that there was this other register that you could write about research in um, really excited me. And then a little after that, I started reading as an American author, Mary Roach, who's written a series of books, most of which have one word titles like uh, Gulp and Bonk and Stiff, uh, which are respectively about, I think Gulp is Journeys Through the Elementary Canal, Bonk is obviously about sex, and Stiff is about uh, what happens to us when we're cadavers. Uh, She's also written things like Packing for Mars, and she takes essentially quite an anthropologist's view of science. You know, what are these people doing when they are doing this research to the point where she volunteers for various studies, including a study about, you know, what goes on in people's bodies uh, when they're having sexual intercourse uh, during bonk by volunteering herself and her husband to go and shack in an MRI tube Um, so yeah yeah I know right so there is that kind of anthropology memoir science reportage and that I I love so one of the teaching things I'm doing is you know how to write about non-fiction and the fact that there are so many genres and you can genre blend around a single subject um, or around a particular theme and that is one of the most joyful things to do is to be able to play with you know here's the interesting finding here's the reportage on you know the person whose lab I went and visited uh here's the sort of more philosophical thing of what this means for society whether that is something as base let's say um as as mundane as shagging or swearing or whether that is something like, you know, the the social habits of an entire people that, uh, yeah, it is possible to do really fun things with nonfiction. How about you, Claude? What were the books that got you into the idea of writing nonfiction? Oh, I, I think I was first drawn into just, I mean, why wouldn't you love nonfiction? It's like, if you sat at the pub with a group of people, and somebody starts telling a story and then at the end they go, by the way, I just made that up. I mean, it's a bit rubbish, isn't it? You're like, oh, thanks. Thanks for that story. It means nothing to me now. Whereas, you know, what you want is a story. It's like, oh my God, this actually just happened to me, guys. And then whatever. Anyway, the thing, the, the books that really suck me in and still do are, it's a bit niche and possibly says some terrible things about my character, mountaineering disaster books. Huh. Yeah, I love a mountaineering disaster book. Specifically, I was won over by John Krakauer's book, Into Thin Air. He he wrote the book, was it Into the Wild as well, that was made into a film? But yeah, Into Thin Air, it's so well written, so compellingly written about a really disastrous year on Everest essentially where oh the death toll from the climbers was really really large and it was fascinating so so many interesting 
nuggets and bits of information. And I don't know what it is about mountaineering disaster books, but I love them so much and and non-disaster books, you know. I think it's just that sense of, oh my God, right now as I'm reading this, there could well be somebody stuck on a mountain in conditions that are so alien and cold and and terrifying and how are they doing it and why are they doing why are they doing that that's what i'm really interested in like what on what drove you and there's also part of me that's kind of wants to go and try it myself but i think it'd be terrible because i've got no coordination i sort of get the feeling that you are intrigued by life that is not at sea level because uh, we swim to the shark is all about diving. Oh yes, that's my book. My, my book. Plug your book. Plug your book. Um, so yeah, we swim to the shark. We have a brilliant uh, one of the early episodes of this series will be actually me interviewing Georgie about we swim to the shark. Yeah, sorry guys. No, 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 no apology required because uh, we have actually already edited that through the magic of podcasting. This is not all happening in the right order, like in my life. So yeah, Georgie wrote uh, We Swim to the Shark, which is about, well, diving permeates the book and is the backbone of the book. And yeah, that idea again of there are things that you are out of the normal world, you are out of your normal environment that, you know, at at one atmosphere and, and sea level uh, things that are very easy suddenly become much, much harder when you're either very, very high up or very, very, very low down. Um, so yeah, I, maybe maybe the sequel is a mountaineering one. God, I, I know. I wouldn't be around to be able to write it, I think. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'd go down a crevasse. But yeah, I'm very much a thrill-seeking non-fiction reader, I've just realised. My favourite, favourite non-fiction book, and I think probably the one that made me realise, oh yeah, I really love non-fiction, is a book called The Lobotomist by Jack L. High. I think that's how you pronounce it, E-L um, hyphen H-A-I. And I picked it up in a second-hand bookshop. And it's so, so gory and interesting and gory and horrific and I... I think I just like reading things that really send a shiver down my spine and make me grateful for being cosy on my sofa or wherever I happen to be at the time. So I'll be drawn to those in that in this series, I can tell you. If you like the shivers down the spine, I have to recommend The Butchering Art by Lindsay Fitzharris, uh, which is all about Joseph Lister's quest to transform surgery. And it's great. I mean, yeah, it, it the, the grisly world of Victorian medicine and it it made me so thankful to live in the twentieth and twenty first, the late twentieth and early twenty first century, uh, or antiseptic and anaesthetic changing the way in which surgery is done. Uh, it used to be the case, for example, that surgeons basically were ranked on how quickly they could take a limb off. because uh, you did not want that to go on for a long time in the absence of anesthetic oh my god so they could actually like have actual olympics that were like uh, no olympics no sorry yeah it's dark it's such a good book about the history of surgery and how far we have come um and it makes you phenomenal well, it made me anyway phenomenally grateful uh for the advances in the field of medicine 
We've got some great guests coming up over the series. Some confirmed so far. I'm going to be speaking to Rosie Wilby soon, who's written the the breakup monologues. Who are you uh, speaking to next, Emma? Although this might not be the order that the uh, things come out in, guys. So we're teasing. We're teasing here. We may drop in a different order. Um, so my next interview is with a chap called Daniel Smith, who is a prolific nonfiction author, author of the How to Think Like series, which covers everyone from Steve jobs to Sherlock Holmes. Um, But he has been delving into the love letters of kings and queens. And I am absolutely fascinated. Uh, It's really interesting. I kind of I almost wish we could do the timetabling so that we could get Rosie and Dan together on mic, because there is one particular love letter, love letter, a letter between a monarch and his consort that is very much in the conscious uncoupling vein. And you're like, oh, well, this is very humane. This sort of, you know, we are with just because we're miserable together does not mean we're condemned to be miserable for life. Let us live apart. Uh, and the, uh, the the reply back is, how dare you? I am the mother of your child. I am the future queen of England. How dare you? Uh, so, yes, we're going to be going into uh, some of the, uh, the the drama. It's, oh, it's Bridgerton level stuff, man. Oh, wowzers. We're going to have so much drama, so much drama. But we're also we'll also take it in different directions. That's the joy of nonfiction, right? We can go crime, we can go science, we can go breaking up with people, we can go anywhere because it's all about the world and the universe and people and animals and God knows. Oh, oh, I'm so excited. Thank you for listening to this episode of Nonfit Pod with Burn and Cod. Our guests this week were Burn and Cod. You can really help us by rating, reviewing, and sharing Nonfit Pod. Every little helps to build our audience, and that means we get to share fantastic nonfiction with more people just like you. And it helps us to keep bringing you the greatest authors and the hottest reads. Nonfit Pod is brought to you by Beatrice Bazell, Emma Byrne, Georgie Cod. Felicity Quick and Mike Wire. Our patron shoutouts go to David Corney and Mike Wire. Thank you for your support. You can really help us by rating, reviewing, and sharing Nonfic Pod. Every little helps to build our audience, and that means we get to share fantastic nonfiction with more people just like you. And it helps us to keep bringing you the greatest authors and the hottest reads. Music